If you have your Bibles or Testaments, we're turning to some verses from John's Gospel, chapter 9. The Gospel according to John, and the ninth chapter, and it's good to be here tonight. And I thanked him for inviting me, and I trust that the Lord will minister to us through the words of testimony this evening. John's Gospel, chapter 9, and verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbours therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore they say, said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And here's my text from my testimony tonight. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. We'll end the reading there and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Let us just bow in a moment's prayer. Father, tonight we bow before thee, knowing, Lord, that many, many times we have told of your love and your grace to us, but we take nothing for granted, Lord, and tonight we need a fresh anointing and fresh help from above. Oh God, my only desire tonight is that men and women would see Jesus. Lord, we pray that thou wilt be uplifted tonight, eulogized high tonight, that thou would increase, we would decrease, Subdue our thoughts, deepen our love, 
quicken our spirit, increase our knowledge, our knowledge of Thee, and open our eyes for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Now, I was born a long way from here, way down in the borders of Donegal and west from Manna. My father had a hundred acres of farming land. And as well as that, he had a contract with the milk marketing board for drawing milk. Creamy cans, some of you would never have seen one. The creamy cans, I was put up amongst the creamy cans and the kettle and the pigs on the shores of Loch Ayr. As a young boy, there were two major problems in our home, and one was drink and the other was gambling. I remember as a young boy in our farmyard home, poker schools. Men from the Creamery and Derrigonley used to come out and gather round the big table in the farmhouse, maybe half a dozen, eight men. And I can remember as a very young boy, them all gathered round one night and anybody that knows anything about poker, and I hope you don't, uh, you need an opening card and somebody said, what will we open with tonight? And some fella said, we'll open with a hen. And everybody started to laugh. And I can remember another fella saying, we'll sing, shall we gather at the rift? Those two things impressed themselves upon my mind at eight or nine years of age. My father would have cut a deck of cards for a cow and lost. One was gambling and the other was drink. Never knew a time that I didn't drink. I never knew a time that I didn't smoke. I never knew a time that I didn't curse. I had a terrible, terrible tongue. That tongue was propelled by the fact that the neighbor farmer had a man working for him and he used to teach me how to curse. He used to teach me curses. You Sunday school teachers, you teach your children everything you can about the truth of God. I never knew a verse of scripture until I was 25 years of age. When I'd come home from school, he'd ask me, did you learn the curses? Mind you, I had enough curses without his because we had men working with us. My father had employed men from across the board in Donegal and others in the bad tongues. I'm just painting the picture of my early days, not for any glory, but to give you just a picture of one day how how the Lord saved me. Just mercy, grace, from beginning to end. My father used to come home on the milk run and 
Sometimes he didn't come home to evening. And that caused rows in our house. The five of us in the family, three boys and two girls. The eldest brother went to Canada at 18. Sister went to Scotland, one to London, one to Rich Hill. And I was at home in the land, on the farm. When I got the license at 17 years of age, I drove the lorry up the lanes and in the fields and everywhere we could to lift milk. And I followed in the footsteps of my father. Drinking and gambling with awful cursors they were then and they are now. I saw rows in my home and fights in my home that I wouldn't want to describe to you tonight. All I can say is that they etched themselves upon my mind and memory and have never gone away. My mother packed her bags and she left the city of Belfast to live with her sister. Me and my father was left alone on the farm with the milk run. Every out of my bedroom window on the shores of Loch Erne and that farm of land, I could count five islands in lower Loch Erne. And I never saw anything in them or beauty at all. I never saw anything of God's creation that appealed to me. And then the day came when the creditors closed and the farm had to be sold and and all that was machinery and cattle and land didn't pay the bill that was owed. Twenty years of age packed a bag, left my father and my mother who came home to look after him for he took ill and went to the city of Manchester in England. For 13 months I lived and sometimes worked there. I was in five different jobs Often without money, often without a place to stay. And the only way that I can describe my condition is in a little booklet that I wrote a few years after I got saved called The Modern Prodigal was still in print. I'm sorry I have none with me tonight. But that was the only way I could describe myself. A few years after I got saved when I saw what God had done in my life. <coughs> after 13 months there, I met an old Jewish man on the street and he said to me, I used to work for him when I went over for a month or two, and he said to me, son, if you don't go home, you'll die. And I knew what he was saying was right. And I got, gathered up some money enough to get home. The shoes that were on my feet were leaking water. They had only one clothes and they were tatters. 
And the rooster that watched that was given a present had to sell it to get something to eat. And in January 1968, I headed for Fermanagh. I came to the town of Enniskillen, lived 12 miles out the road from Enniskillen on the main Donegal, Bundoran, Ballyshannon, Sligo road. And I went into a public house, that's where I had to go any time, where I went any time I wanted anything. And I went into a public house knowing that there may be somebody there that I would know would take me out on the walls and the man drove me to my mother's house. The people that bought the land and all that went with it left her with the house to the day she died and she was there or supposed to be there but when I got home I discovered that she had an Aaron hospital and then a skill and very ill. My father was in the Musgrave hospital in Belfast very ill with two different ailments. I remember that January day, it was a cold, bitter winter's day and exaggerated by the fact that uh, you were on the shore looking out over the hills of Donegal and there was a wind swept sweeping up that lock that day and I stood there in my rags. And I didn't know where my mother or my father was and nobody was there and I discovered from a neighbor that where they were. And I remember going into the old farmhouse and saying a half prayer or something, Lord, if there's a God or whatever there is, would we bring my mother home? My mother came home. And instead of me looking after her, she looked after me. You know, there's no love. Like a mother's love, apart from the love of God. And you young people, again tonight, you respect and honor your father and your mother. For I didn't. My mother was a good woman. She was from the old Methodist stock. She wasn't saved until a few months before she died. She used to wait up for me at night, coming home. Some nights I didn't come home. Someone else come to tell her where I was. Could have been in the Garda station in Bundorn or in hospital or somewhere else. If ever a woman's heart was broken, with a husband and a son. It had to be my dear mother. She nursed me. She looked after me. She put me on the road again and went back to England. I came back the second time worse than the first time. So I'll leave it there. Hopeless, godless, reckless young man. Oh, for the grace of God. Never give up praying for your sons or your daughters. Never give up.
But I knew later that there were those who prayed for me. When I was home the second time, God intervened. Now, the old Puritans used to talk about prevenient grace, grace before you're saved. <laughs> and if it were not for the grace of God before I was saved, I would have never been saved, for I'd have been in hell. Protecting grace, preserving grace, merciful grace, loving grace, keeping his hand on a fool who hated God and the things of God. But when I was home the second time, something happened that it took a wee while later on to realize that God's hand was in it. You see, the milk run that my father had had a contract with it. And the contract hadn't run out when we sold the place, or hadn't run out in over a year, two years nearly. But my brother, who took charge of it and was working up in Armagh, employed a man to drive the lorry and do the milk run. And one day, he had to go to a funeral or a wedding, I don't know which, and there was nobody could have done the milk run, apart from me. Nobody knew the numbers of the cans, nobody knew the lanes, nobody knew the stops, nobody knew anything other than him and me. And I'd done the milk run again after a number of years, a year and a half or more, two years, I'd done the milk run again And it was the wettest day, and mind you, there's some wet days in Fermanagh. You'll not survive if you don't have a good pair of Wellingtons in Fermanagh. It rained and rained and rained and rained. Now, West Fermanagh gets more rain than North Fermanagh. That's how bad it is. Heading in with a load of milk into Derragonley Creamery that day, there was double wheels and both on the back of the lorry. I heard one go and I heard the crack and I heard her going down. And then I heard the other go. And I'm sitting on the middle of a road on the wettest day that ever came with a load of milk. Blocking the road. Every curse, curse that I learned came out that day. I cursed the lorry, I cursed the weather, I cursed God. But you wouldn't want it to come near me that day. So I had to get a lorry out from the creamy and get the milk on, get it in and got Wheel on, one wheel on, got her into the lorry. Took the wheels and rolled them up in the guy's floor to the boys in the garage. Says, fix some wheels. And I walked down the town of Derrigan. And I went into the Mace supermarket. 
And the son of the fellow owned it was a good friend of mine. Well, he was a friend for we wrecked and drank and fought. And I went in to the shop and he was there and I was talking to him about things. And in through the door came a girl. I never knew a time in my life that I didn't know her. Many's a day I was in her house and her, fa- her mother made me tea. Her father cut hair and fixed shoes and pulled teeth and everything you could do. <laughs> that's, that's right, he did. He, he did. He, I saw the old, he had an old set of stuff. When you were living... <laughs> When you were living down there in them days, <laughs> you'd have done anything to get a tooth out if you had the tooth There's no running to the dentist. There's no taxis coming up to take you to school either. You walked, I walked miles to school. Oh, what great days, though. And I never knew a time I didn't know her father, and I never knew a time I didn't know her mother. She was the principal of the local school. Very devout Catholics. And I mean devout Catholics. I mean every day of the week. Her mother took them children to school, to chapel before she took them to her school. And Pat could have said and would say that she never remembers missing a day in chapel other than when she was sick, seven days a week. So I knew all about her, and all about her family, and she knew all about me and all about mine. And I knew that she'd be going up past the garage to where she lived, so I asked her for a lift. And she gave me a lift up to the garage. Now, there's a bit of a dispute when we come here, she said I wouldn't get out, but I did get out. Sometimes I said I didn't get out quick enough. <laughs> but I got out. But not without asking her, and this is, you know, that many things baffle me in life. I'm 76 years of age. I've been baffled with many things in life. There's two things that I couldn't understand, one of them in particular, that I asked her would she go to the pictures with me. I had no money, I had no clothes, I had no car. And the other thing is, and that's the mysterious of all, she said I will. And she did. And I got money. I wasn't too bad looking boy when I got dickied up a wee bit. And then I went somewhere else, got a car, got a loan, got money from my mother, went somewhere else. And then it wasn't long till the word come back. <laughs> It'll not be long till you get the word back. 
There were two things with that girl. And the two things were this. She would listen to me. I needed somebody to listen to me. You see, there's a lot of young people today and they need to be listened to. There's a multitude of problems young people have that we haven't. Multitude of things to contend with. Sit down and listen to your children. Down deep in my heart you see there were hurts of years and frustrations and disappointments. No job, no home, no education. Left school when I was 14. They never came looking for me either. They should have been there till I was 15. They never came looking for me. They said they were glad they wouldn't come back. My father was fixing a roof one day and I was about 13 and a half, 14 on the roadside. The Donegal Road ran past and they were fixing, putting slates on the roof and I remember being up on the roof. There was a bad corner and the car slowed down and I looked down at the roof and two of the teachers were looking up at me from the car. They blew the horn and waved it. <laughs> and all the past, all the... All the hurts. She listened. And the other thing was this. She was a very, very devout Catholic, as I've told you. She wouldn't have come out on a Saturday night until she'd have been to confession. Or she wouldn't have went anywhere on Sunday till she didn't get, she was nursing in Belfast, and when she came home, if she didn't get on Sunday morning, she had to get on Sunday night. I was more times at the chapel than probably anywhere else on a Saturday night or on a Sunday. And then I started to go, not to the home chapel, but across the board in Donegal. I used to go with her. One night we were down in Bundorn, where we spent a lot of time and money and drinking, fighting, and all that goes with it. One down, we were down there one Sunday night in an old car that we had borrowed. She said, I wasn't at chapel this morning, I'll have to go the night. I said, I'll go with you. So we went to the end of the town and turned left, and she knew where the chapel was and went in, and the place was packed up and we had to come right up to the front. People standing on the pew on the aisle. And the priest, he was up and going through, and she said, Now, whenever you whenever I stand up, you stand up. Whenever I sit down, you sit down. Well, she stood up and I sat down, and I sat down and she stood up. And I'd no more interest in that, I'd no more interest in God or churches. I might as well have been in the Muslim temple, it wouldn't have mattered. Something happened very peculiar in that mass. Well, that's what it was. Just rubbing shoulders always with me, I was on the end seat, was an old man, and I'm sure he must have been 70 or 80 years of age. 
and he was, he was going like this. And I could smell the drink of him. And I could have told you what sort of drink it was too. And the thought came into my mind. How can someone be in the house of God? This is what came into my mind. How can someone be in the house of God and be drunk? Ah, oh, nothing that I was taught in Sunday school. I went to the Methodist Sunday school for a few years. And I, I, something came into my I. I just at that moment, without saying I'm going, running, I swung round, pushed through the crowd and went out to the door of the chapel. And she came out after me. And we recall very well what was said. I said, I'll never be in a place like that again. How can you be drunk in God's house? See, there was something in my heart told me that wasn't right. She said, that's all right. She never once asked me to go to chapel. She never once asked me to become a Catholic. She never once tried to impress me in any way. And she went her way and I went my way. But I used to ask her questions. I'm an inquisitive sort of a person. I used to ask her questions about the chapel and about the mass and about confession, about holy water and about things that she would be talking about. And you know, she couldn't answer me. And I wasn't doing it out of any mischievous. I was just doing it out of in, in being inquisitive. But she couldn't answer me the most simple of things that she was doing. In all her years, in the Catholic Church. So she went to a monastery to see a priest, to ask him the questions. And he couldn't answer them either. He said, I have a book and a certain loan, and when it comes back, I'll give it to you. He said, these are only thoughts of young young people, that's the sort of thought you have. Say four Hail Marys or something else and everything will be all right. But it wasn't all right. It wasn't all right. And in her mind, unknown to me, asking those questions, there began to be a disturbance in her mind. My friend, it's good to search out and try to understand what you do. When you come to this fellowship in this church, you get your Bible when this fellow gets up to preach and you find out if he's preaching you the truth. Search out. Well, there's so much false nonsense going on today, you wouldn't know where to believe or who to go to. And so, she was not satisfied, but it didn't change her. Now listen, and you're listening well. But a year after we started to go out, 
We were back in Bundoran. We used to go to Bundoran every Sunday night nearly. Go to the Arcadia Ballroom down on the shore and to the Holyrood Hotel. And one Sunday evening we were down at Whits Weekend. And we pulled up just above the Hollywood Hotel on the main street, if any of you know the town. And got out of the car to go up into the hotel and went up the steps to the door of it, but the door wouldn't open. Now whether there was an unseen hand behind the door or whether the place was closed, I didn't think it was closed, it should have been open, but anyway we couldn't get in. And we got back and sat in the car. Another eye of her said, what will we do now? And she said, do you remember the night that we were down here that you came to the chapel with me? She said, do. Would you take me to a Protestant church? Well, I said, and we have been, as I say, rehearsing this now for 50 years. All over the country and all over England, Scotland, Wales. And we know the conversation that we had. I said, this is a 95% Catholic town and Republican town too. And I said there wouldn't be a church in it. Well, she says if there's a percentage of Protestants, there must be a church for them. And I said, I, I don't know. She said, I'm going to get out to look for one. And out she gets. And she crossed the street. And she walked up the far side of the street on a wet Sunday night. And wasn't far up the street and was sitting back off the street was Bundoran Methodist Church. And there was a large sign. I can see it yet. It was yellow. There was a large sign saying that the Irish Evangelistic Band Easter Convention was on. Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday night. And the speaker was Mr. Martin from the Faith Mission College in Edinburgh, Sidney Martin, Dr. Sidney Martin. And she turned around and looked at me to give her the assent to see, is, is this a church? And I nodded the head. And I followed her in. You'd have thought I was going to the gas chamber, to tell you the truth. 
wasn't a Protestant brought me in to hear the gospel, you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you something better, it wasn't a Christian either. For if I would have been depending on some, and I must emphasize some, of the Christians that I knew around Derrigonley and around Churchill and around the shores of Loch Erne, if I'd have been depending on some of them, I'd be in hell tonight. You take that in now. Because here's what was going on behind the scenes. Oh, did you hear he's a, drunk, he's a drunkard now? Did you hear they've sold the land? <laughs> did you say he's away to Manchester? He's home now. <laughs> and here's the greatest one of all. Now do you hear? He's going to Rome. He's going to Rome. They were more concerned about me going to Rome than coming to Christ. Oh, I know them too. I knew them. But anyway, we went in. And where do you head when you went? To the back seat. God help you in the back seat tonight. <laughs> in the back seat. Then, then there was a gap in the congregation. Then somebody sang. All I could see was the clock. Of when will this thing be over? I can remember the clock on the side wall. Didn't hear a word they sang, didn't hear a word they prayed. Someone sang a solo, I'm told, I never heard a word he sang. This man got up, big tall man with a collar on him, he started to read and he started to preach, never heard a word. But she did. She did. She was looking round her, oh, she said, how, no wonder this boy has no God, no time for God, the paint's coming off the wall and there's no incense and there's no candles. And Just before he came to the end of his message, Mr. Martin stepped to one side of the pulpit. He said, I want to tell you, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you the day, a couple of days before I came over to this convention. Listen now. I had the joy of leading a Roman Catholic girl to the Lord. Boy, she sat up. She said herself, I wonder what they're going to say about me now. He told us about a girl, the name of Mary, who worked with a Christian girl who was asking the same questions. Now listen, the same questions that Pat was asking, and I was asking Pat. And Mr. Martin answered those questions from the pulpit to that girl that the Christian girl brought seeking why she did the things that she did in the Catholic Church. Answered every one of them. Now, 
If I would have told somebody that story, if I was asking Pat and Pat was asking me and Pat was inquisitive, and if I'd have told somebody, I'm going to Bondorn tonight and I'm going to a meeting and I'm bringing a Catholic girl with me into the meeting, if I'd have said that to one soul, I would have said, they've got the word. They know I'm here. These Christians. Oh, <laughs> They know that I'm here and they know that they've heard me and I, I've told them and, and, and this is all set up. Well, I tell you, God knew my heart. Because I can tell you that five minutes before we came in, nobody knew. And that blew that out of the water. Nobody knew. You come all the way from Scotland for the first time to Bundorn, to a Republican town in Bundorn, not to Ballymena or Lisburn. God didn't save me in Lisburn, to save her in Lisburn or Ballymena. Came all the way. Told the story. And we left. And we're going down the footpath and cross the street to where the car was. And I could take you to the spot or very near tonight. Where she caught a hold of my hand and she said, I never was as near God in my life. And I didn't know what she was talking about. Do you hear that now? I was brought up a Methodist and a Cooneyite. And when you put the two of them together, let me tell you. My father was a Cooneyite. Not many of them up here, I don't know. God bless them. And I used to go to the Cooney meetings with them. And I used to go to the Methodist church Sunday school and sometimes to the church. My mother was a Methodist. Nothing I heard in the Cooneyites, nothing I heard in the Methodists, nothing that I heard from anybody. We're crossing the street, and she said to me, I, I never was as near God in my life. Take me home. And I drove her 27, 28 mile to a nurse's flat in Enniskill. And dropped her off and came home to my mother's house. on the banks of the Erne. A good strong man could have fired a stone from her front door into the loch. And many's a night I was kept awake. And I'll tell you what kept me awake. The old Volkswagen Beetles were a very, very common car in those days. And there was a bad corner went around our house, that's why it's called it was called the point. There's a bad corner that goes around it. And them old Volkswagens used to have to change it down. There was a rip of them. And the roar of them old things going around from to Donegal. Would have shook you out of your bed nearly. <laughs> and then there's the ducks. <laughs> the ducks. Do you see do you see a moonlight night? In the bay, 
It was a big, large bay just swept up round to the road. And boys, them ducks used to quack and quack and roar and shout in the moonlight all night. It used to keep me awake. But none of them kept me awake this night. I couldn't sleep and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I tore up and down through that old house. About one o'clock in the morning I hooked in an old cupboard for some time, a year, I don't know how long before I seen an old Bible and there was a pile of shoes on top of the Bible, old Bible. And I pulled out this old black Bible and started to read it. And you know, the more I read it, the more the less sense it made. Just like that, the Lord brought a man into my mind. A brother of my mother's. And I can honestly Say in all my 50 years, and I've been around some corners and some spots and some places that I've never knew as godly man, or as a man who prayed like he prayed. Boy, he spent days in prayer and fasting. He used to come to our house and tell me and my father, he said, You'll not only lose your business, but you'll, you'll go to hell if you don't get saved. Boys, any time I went to a funeral or, any, or a wedding or anything, he would have cleared, juked. When he used to come to the house, I'd have cleared hedges on him to get away from him. <laughs> One day he come and he blocked the car and I couldn't get out. He lived eight miles away and never was in his house. And passed the cars and lorries and never was in his house. They kept me in at school right often. And as I said, there was no buses, no taxis, no cars, nobody to lift you. And I remember they let me out of the Intermediate school in Enniskill and four o'clock on the winter's evenings was dark. It was 12 miles out the shore road to where I lived. Nobody cared whether you got home or not. Now walking out past Pretoria Royal School and this car pulled up and it was him. And why I'm telling you this is, I remember getting into the car in the early 30s, had a big long stick gear stick on him. He pulled her down into top and he pulled her down into top. He started to pray. He prayed every inch of the way out to my mother's house. And I can remember him praying. I can remember him distinctly praying. And this was 13, 14 years of age. Lord save Bert and make him a man of God. 
snowman. I had a suite of fellowship for ten years before he died than him. I'm here, and Pat's here, because of his prayers. I rang him at one half, one, two o'clock in the morning. As I said, I hadn't seen him, didn't want to see him. Got his number. Took him a while getting to the phone. He answered it. I said, I was at a meeting tonight in Bundoran. I come home and I don't know what's wrong with me and I can't sleep. I says, go back to bed and you'll sleep because he didn't know whether I was fooling or whether I was after something he wouldn't have had a thought of, maybe. He says, I'll be down in the morning. I can see him yet. He came in in the morning into the house. My mother was sitting in the house. He said, book to her. She said to me, come on. I got out and got into the car with him. Monday morning, drove me eight miles to his farmhouse. Brought me in. The last day of May, 1970. He never spoke to me. You know, he used to preach in open air and in the skin every Saturday, almost till he died. He left the field, he'd leave the farm field, he'd leave, he never missed a Saturday if he was well at all. And stood in open air with three or four other men in the diamond and in the skin and preached the word. We used to go past and shout out curses and oaths. But I wasn't cursing him now, and I wasn't duking him now. But there was something going on deep in my heart that I didn't know. And he never argued with me, he never spoke to me, hardly. He started to thistle through the Bible with his big hands. And come away to 1 John 1 at the end. And he said, listen to these words. He says, your trouble's not drink. And boy, I... I had a problem with drink. He says, your trouble's not tobacco. I was smoking. I said, I never remember the time that I didn't smoke. My father got me a wee pipe. Whenever I was six or seven, you put the butts of the cigarettes into the top of it and you smoked. I never knew a time that I didn't drink because there was always bottles lying about in the lorry or in the house and I drank the bottom end of them. And I never knew a time I didn't curse with an awful tongue. He says, your problem's not drinking and your problem's not cursing and your problem's not the wild things you're doing. He says, your problem's sin, sin. And that old farmer painted for me that morning a picture of Calvary, the like of I've never seen or heard since. He told me the only answer for your sin is the blood of Jesus Christ that will cleanse you from all sin. If we confess our sins, he read. 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. And then he turned round and he got down on his knees in the middle of the old farmhouse about a quarter past eleven on the last day of May in 1970 and he began to pray for me. And I looked up into the sky and I said, Lord, I don't know what this man said. I said, Lord, don't understand. But I said this, Lord, if there's something better in life than this, I want it. And on that farmyard about a quarter or twenty past eleven on that morning, I looked up and I said, Lord, I'm tired. I'm weary. What this man says, if it's right, will you do something? And my friends, that morning I passed from death unto life. How did you know it? Because I said a wee prayer, no. How did I know it? Well, I'll tell you how I knew it. I lost a quarter or more of my vocabulary that morning. Just in a shot. Boys, there's no swear words coming. I lost the desire for drink. In fact, when I left that farmhouse, I'll tell you what I did, because it was a custom. When I left that farmhouse, I drove into Enniskillen, and I went into the Harp and Crown public house, and I ordered a, gla- a bottle of beer, and when the lassie was pouring it out on the counter, I fled. I left her. And the last there. Thank God I've never tasted a drop since. And I said, Lord, if there's something better in life, will you do it? Will you do something for me? I lost my quarter of a cabal. I lost the desire for drink. Lost the desires for the old friends and old things. All I wanted was a Bible. All I wanted to go to meetings and all I wanted to do. But then the old devil said, and the old devil, listen, are you saved tonight? Come on, now you don't have to follow my, my... You don't need to go down the road I go down. You're a sinner. Born in sin and shaping and iniquity, and you'll need the same Saviour as I'll need, and you'll need the same blood as I had to cleanse me, and you'll need to call, just say something, say, Lord, I'm a sinner, come into my heart. He'll do that tonight. He'll do it. What about this girl? <laughs> oh, as Nicholson used to say, that's the pig with another snout. What about her? 
what did she say? He'd been up with this boy and he's half mad. They thought he was half mad, you see, they all knew him. Why, says I, what, what will she say? That's the end of that. That's the end of that. The devil's a liar, you know, and he's the father of lies. And he's a murderer from the beginning. And every chance you get, tell him that. Well, we're not going to be dictated by the devil. That evening, I collected her and brought her out to the farmhouse, my last Springfield. And here's what she told us. So we didn't last night into the flat. I put the novenas and the beads to one side. And I go down on my knees. I said, Lord, do for me what you did for that Catholic girl in Scotland. It was done. Great transaction done. See, we have all the words, but we have nothing else from us. She didn't know the word saved. She didn't know the word born again. She never had a Bible. She never had a gospel tract put through her door. She never. See her brother Andrew and his wife here? She never had a children's meeting. Never. Was up in darkness. In the convent. Never heard the word. Never heard to be saved. Never heard born again. Never was in a meeting. We have more meetings. We have more tracts. We have more books. We have more gospel. We have more tapes. We have more CIT. BDs, whatever you like to call them, with sinkership. Facebook and Twitters and YouTubes. And we never was as far away from God as we are in our land tonight. There was one thing God put into my heart, and she did marry me, you know. There's one thing God put into both of our hearts, and that's revival. And I say this tonight from this pulpit, I believe that there's an Irish revival coming, the like of we have never seen. God's going to move amongst the Catholics. With more gospel tracts, we trample them under our feet on the 12th of July that would save China. We're going to pay for it. We are paying for it. Let me tell you, we'll pay for it more come May. God's going to humble the Protestant people.
her. Her mother put her out. Family disowned her. Not one, one of them came to her wedding. Not one of them. These boys talk about separation. I'm sick listening to the boys talking about separation. They leave one church and they go to another and then they say they're separated. If you want to know what separation is, I'll tell you what it is. It's when God takes the like of path out of a dark home. And her mother's saying, I'll commit suicide if you don't come back. I'll, I'll commit suicide if you don't come back to the church. It's standing against all that and a thousand things more in a small community. And saying, I'm standing for the Lord. I'm not going on any further tonight. I can't tell you. I couldn't begin. I'll have to come back. I couldn't begin to tell you what the Lord done in our life. And the merciful and mighty blessings that he has bestowed upon us. Whenever that bomb went off and then the skin in those years ago, it was just outside the convent where Pat went. That remembrance bomb. We wrote a letter to every paper in Ireland, and most of them all published it. Headed, can Catholic and Protestant live together? Friend, they sure can. One in Christ. And we started out on the road of life together. Sammy Workman said he went out when he got saved, he hadn't two brown pennies, or we hadn't one. And that's honest who hadn't won. We trusted the Lord and we're still trusting him tonight after 50 years. Oh, the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And brought me into employment for 11 years. A job that I loved. And then he called me out. Give me two minutes and I'll tell you. I was sitting in Armagh Baptist Church one Sunday night. And Jimmy Armstrong got up and he opened the Bible. He was the pastor there. He's long gone to the glory. And he read from Mark 11. The colt was tied at two ways until it was loosed. Armstrong said it was no good for the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me. Says you have a lovely house, you have a good job. I had a thousand pounds a month in 1980. He says, I want you. And I ignored it. I can remember crying, I, didn't, I never preached. I had no meetings, no missions. After a while, he spoke to me again through the same word. I ignored it. And then he came the third time. 
the very same word. Resigned from my work, sold my house, stepped out by faith with two girls at primary school. Pat had no work, I had no work. I had a hundred pound when all was squared up from my previous job. I got a portable hall and went down into the county that I love, Fermanagh. And I went from door to door, preaching, witnessing, telling my school friends and all around what God done, going around Pat's village with Pat, round the neighbours, declaring what God done for two, for many people on the very opposite sides of life. God began to bless and he began to save and he began to work and he began to move. And I can honestly say, and I don't say this out of any boasting tonight, but because of that night in Bundorn, there will be thousands in the glory. Thousands, I mean thousands. For Pat was two years saved when she wrote the wee book when real life began. They're still printing it tonight. It has gone all over the world. <clears throat> Letters have come back from prisons. Letters have come back from most peculiar places. How they've got them, I don't know. But they're still being circulating, still streaming out. There will be thousands in the glory. Because of that night in Bundorn. Because one man came, one man came, not with a big Bible with seven points, but just with a simple illustration that went into the heart in the perfect timing of God to rescue the parish and lift us out and make us trophies of grace for him. I can't leave without telling you this. About 15 years ago, they asked me over to Scotland to do a mission, gospel mission. Between Edinburgh and Glasgow in a place called Shots, preached for four weeks. One night I gave my testimony and an elder of the church came up and he said to me, he said, that man, Sidney Martin, still living, he's 92. And he says, and I'm going to ring him in the morning and I'm going to ring you to see him. So he rang me back, this man, the next morning. He said, I was speaking to him. He said, I was speaking to his wife, but he's ill himself. He's only out of hospital. But he said he'd love to see. So this man drove me to the back of the Ibrox football stadium in Glasgow, up the stairs to the wee tenement building. Knocked the door and this old lady came out. She was the same age and older than her husband. 
And she said, she said, Sidney's just out of hospital, but he wants to see you, and he's sitting on the bed. Now I went into the room. And told him, he says, I got your books ten years after after you got saved. I got your books in 1980. He says, I want to tell you something. I preached all over America. And I preached coast to coast through America. And I preached over Europe. Since... That night. But I can remember that night. I knew that God had done something in that meeting. And I prayed and said, Lord, keep this man until Pat says. So they asked me back in a year and a half maybe two years back to do another mission and I brought Pat with me what a mighty reunion that was what tears were shed be faithful in your calling Andrew, be faithful. Those of you who work for the Lord, be faithful to this book and to him. And pray on for your children. Pray on for your families. Because there are those praying that you don't know about. And one day God will vindicate and he will answer your prayers. I see Brian and Carl here tonight. It's a blessing to hear Carl pray. First mission in Carl Baptist in 1985. I led the both of them to the Lord and an old Carl. And 11 souls came out of that mission and every one of them went on with God. 11 souls came out of the next mission they had in 1895 in Carl. Most of them all went on. This is your Bundoran tonight. You're not here by mistake or accident tonight. I come down to drink and to dance and maybe fight at the end of it, godless and hopeless. Pat came from the darkest, probably home in Fermanagh, one of the darkest in Fermanagh, till a Republican town. Who could have engineered it or worked it? Only God. What's the God we have and he hasn't changed? You keep praying and keep praising. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry for... Well, I'm not sorry. You've never apologized for the word of God. Father, Lord, forgive us that we have tried to exalt ourselves in any way. We have nothing to do with this, Lord. Absolutely nothing. 
Lord, I thank you. Thank you for saving my father. Thank you for saving my mother. Thank you for saving Pat's father. Thank you for saving thousands, Lord. But Lord, it's nothing compared to what's coming. Lord, I pray tonight that you'll bless Tim and his wife and family. Only those, Lord, know what it is to head up a work in these days. Everybody, everyone connected with this church, I pray the blessing of the Lord. Bless Andrew and his dear wife's ministry amongst the children. What a mighty work. Forgive us, Lord, for a lack of love for the, for the Catholic people. Oh God, for anybody tonight here, we can't save them. We'll try, Lord, we'll make a mess of it. Holy Spirit, have thine own way tonight. Restore backsliders. Put a bit of zeal and fire into our souls. But the time is short. Bless the work of the school here. Bless the children, Lord. And make this house a veritable Bethel and a terror to the devil and all his foes. We ask it all in our Saviour's name. Amen.